Welcome to Musonomics. I'm Larry Miller from the Music Business Program at NYU Steinhardt. On this episode, how businesses use background music and how important is music in exercise classes. I just want to see somebody feel good at the end of class. And for me, music is the means. It's the vessel by which I can get somebody to feel good or I'm trying to get somebody to feel good. So for me, music is the most important thing and it's everything. That's SoulCycle instructor Sean Linehan. My interview with Sean on music and SoulCycle coming up later in this episode. But first... Easy listening. Elevator music. Muzak with a lowercase m. Terms that became synonymous with banal, strings-laden renditions of popular songs. These musical malapropisms were a regular part of life for anyone who set foot in a commercial building in the 20th century, whether you were shopping for groceries or standing in line at the bank. The sounds were designed to soothe, not stimulate. How did this milk-toast music become the forerunner to the tailored streaming playlist we now hear in every restaurant, retail establishment, and even of the pounding beats we hear in a fitness class. And why did anyone think it was a good idea to bring music into the workplace? The start of what's called commercial background music came from U.S. Army Major General George Owen Squire, who invented something called multiplexing, a way to send several analog signals over a single line back in 1910. In the years after World War I, he started a company called Wired Radio, which quickly lost ground to the wireless broadcast radio transmissions that began around the same time. In 1934, he pivoted the company to a new focus on delivering music to businesses and renamed it Muzak. Ironically, the multiplexing principles of Muzak's founder were used for some of the first wired computer networks, which ultimately led to the development of the Internet. Fast forward to the 21st century, And now, the most popular music services, including Spotify and Apple Music and Pandora, as well as specialized companies like Sound Machine and Rightsify, deliver customized playlists for businesses. Like anything with music, the licensing for background music and for things like fitness classes is covered under federal copyright law, which exempts most businesses that play music transmitted via radio, TV, and cable and satellite sources from paying fees so long as they don't charge to hear the music. Music played by other means, including live bands, recordings, and streaming services, are not covered by that exemption. So businesses that want to use music in that context have to pay something. For gyms, it gets a little tricky. If music is just being played in the background, in the weight room, in the spa, or the locker room, the licenses from background music services are sufficient. Streaming services like Spotify, Apple Music, and Pandora note in their terms and conditions that they are for non-commercial, personal use only. Those services each state that if you want to use their music for commercial purposes, you have to subscribe to their business service. But music played in instructed classes is specifically not covered under the background music service license because the music is a big part of why you're attending that class. 
For the classes, the facility also needs a performing rights license, and those are administered in the United States by ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, and GMR. All these performing rights organizations, or PROs, spell out very specifically on their websites what gyms and other businesses need to do to get their licenses. The two largest PROs by far in the U.S. are ASCAP and BMI, which control licenses and collections for over 90% of the music that's played in the United States. Together, they collected about $2.27 billion on music licenses in 2017. Every public performance that's not radio, TV, or new media is classified as general licensing, a category that includes gyms, restaurants, and any business that plays music. About 13% of BMI's 2017 revenues were in that category. ASCAP doesn't break them out separately. The PROs then make sure the writers and publishers of the songs affiliated with their organizations are paid for the use of their music. In the United States... The recording artist is not compensated for the use of their music used in this way, but that's a topic for another episode. So I got to thinking as I pedaled away in my favorite SoulCycle class, just how did we get from this to this? Once again, we have Muzak and the Second World War to thank. When it started, Muzak didn't have access to a vast catalog of recorded music they could use. So they commissioned top bands and orchestras to record instrumental versions of then-popular songs. However, there was a problem. If people enjoyed the music too much, they started clapping and singing along, and not working. Which was not effective, as America was gearing up factory production to support the war effort. So, Muzak invested heavily in research and came up with something they called stimulus progression. The music would gradually increase in volume, tempo, and brilliance over a 15-minute period, then go silent for 15 minutes and repeat. Muzak's goal was to unconsciously influence, or you could say manipulate, workers into being more productive. The company created a catalog of music that fit these requirements. Although the science behind stimulus progression is questionable, numerous related studies throughout the 1950s and 60s have generally supported these principles. However, Muzak never had a hit record. Listeners were not even supposed to register that they were hearing the music. Muzak filed for Chapter 11 in 2009, unable to keep up with the market it helped create, both musically and technologically. Mood Media acquired the company in 2011, and Mood itself has had its own financial troubles, but the formerly public company was acquired by its key stakeholders last year. But don't count them out. According to a recent Forbes article, Mood Media still counts clients such as Target, CVS, McDonald's, Whole Foods, and Marriott. 500,000 paid locations in 100 countries and 150 million listeners a day, and $464 million in revenue in a recent year. How are today's businesses that use music as part of their service changing that game? Not just making you buy more drinks or sweat more at the gym, but help break a band. A couple of summers ago, 
when the Chainsmokers record was just getting started. I kept hearing it over and over and over again, and then later read that SoulCycle was one of the places that really helped get that record going. Have you noticed that phenomenon with any other record where, I don't know if you're actually getting worked by record companies. We're not getting worked by record companies. There have been other examples where an artist has wanted to release their single or their record at SoulCycle. It's certainly something that is an interesting concept because I feel that a lot of SoulCycle instructors out there can be influencers when it comes to the music that those people that ride with them are listening to. That's Sean Linehan, a New York City soul cycle instructor known for his rock and roll playlists and inspiring theme rides built around certain artists. And yes, I've pedaled along to his Friday night rock rides. Five years ago, Sean went to his first soul cycle class as a rider and quickly became hooked. I understand that before your current career, you used to do other things in music. This is true. Music has always been a huge passion of mine. I've always played. Um, I started out playing piano, switched to trumpet, eventually switched to guitar, but always wanted to play and realized about halfway through college I probably didn't have the chops. So I figured, okay, if I can't play, I'll go into the music business. And got an internship at Arista Records, got hired right out of college, and worked in their music video department. And then he transitioned from labels to video. So went to MTV. And MTV has an in-house staff that produces commercials for them. And I was part of that staff for five years, working myself up to a producer and then eventually going freelance and spent about another five years producing commercials. It's not obvious how one makes the transition from music and commercial video producer to star soul cycle <laughs> instructor. It was certainly an odd leap um, and one that my friends and family weren't really sure if uh, I should pursue. <laughs> a lot of them thought I was going a bit crazy. But my sister rode at SoulCycle and took me to a class one day randomly. So my first class, I had no idea what to expect. I got in off the wait list and the instructor just happened to play The Stones and Paul McCartney and The Who. And I was like, okay, I like this. I enjoy this. I can go back to this. That instructor is now my fiance, Sue. SoulCycle is not, of course, the first company to tie fitness to music. From the 1980s aerobics classes to sweating with the oldies, jazzercise, Zumba, and others, music has been employed to trick our minds to move our bodies, just like those factory workers in the 1940s. However, with SoulCycle, the instructors have complete autonomy to DJ your workout. They command the flow, just like a sophisticated DJ controls the dance floor. When asked to characterize the music the instructors use at SoulCycle, Sean's thought process sounds not unlike Muzak's stimulus progression, one of carefully building energy levels and rest period to sustain physical performance over a period of time. However, SoulCycle also wants to use music to connect and entertain. I would say the majority of music at SoulCycle relies upon big shifts in energy. You know, it is easiest to control the energy of a group of people, 40, 50, 60, 70, depending upon the size of the studio, when the music lends itself to that kind of energetic shifts. What are the mechanics of putting a playlist together? It's tough. You know, there's a lot that goes into it. 
primarily you're looking for a range of beats and paces. So, you know, you want the arc of the playlist to make sense on the body, to feel good, and also to vary the heart rate. So, you know, we're going to have something that's thicker resistance and push into that in order to get the heart rate up. But if I've really pushed the room hard with something like that, I want the natural cadence to be to take it off on the other side. For me, those building blocks go back to my roots and my interest as a musician, which is primarily classic rock. I draw a lot from there. I draw a lot from the 90s grunge music of my teenage years. And then I absolutely try to sprinkle in different genres, different sounds, different eras, different voices, because I think having every, if, if everything in my playlist were, say, a song sung by a guy who was recording in the early 90s, that I think would be boring on the ear. So playlist beats, starting there, music that is sort of going to arc the energy, and then ultimately um, what's going to inspire me that day or what's going to inspire somebody in the room. Like is there a song that has been stuck in my head that I feel like I need to hear? Is there something going on in the world that I feel a song is particularly meaningful when I'm talking about it? Is there somebody in the room who it's their birthday or it's some sort of celebratory ride or they just happen to be sitting in a place where I notice their name and I want to play a song for them. And, you know, that then goes into it as well. But sort of all those layers fit together. According to a recent SEC filing, SoulCycle reported $25 million in profit in the previous year with total revenue at $112 million and about 235,000 unique riders in that year. SoulCycle hosted over 80,000 classes, almost 3 million rides, around 8,000 rides per day, before opening many more locations in the last few years. Today, a single SoulCycle class in New York City is $36. SoulCycle is very profitable. Some people in the music industry think fitness clubs like SoulCycle that use music in the foreground pay too little for the music that's so important to the overall rider experience. One music publishing executive wrote that the cost to license all the music that one of the major PROs represents is only $2,000 a year per location, less than 1% of 1% of the revenue from a single SoulCycle location. That may sound like an insignificant cost to a company like SoulCycle, but that is the current licensing scheme in the United States, and there's nothing to indicate that SoulCycle or the other clubs like it are not in compliance with what they need to do to pay for music. Let's just agree that they're getting great value from the music they play. How important would you say music is in the overall experience of writers and instructors at SoulCycle. Regardless of who's teaching, regardless of who's riding, it is a primary component of the experience. That said, I think there are certain people, probably like the two of us, who for us, music is everything. You know, for me as an instructor, at the end of the day, I want my class to be the best part of somebody's day. That's what I'm really after. I'm after Yes, I want to see somebody push themselves. Yes, I want to see somebody change their body. Yes, I want to see somebody do something good for themselves. But by and large, I just want to see somebody feel good at the end of class. And for me, music is the means. It's the vessel by which I can get somebody to feel good. 
or I'm trying to get somebody to feel good. So for me, music is the most important thing and it's everything. Get on your bikes, ride! From the beginning of recorded music, people have been thinking of new ways to use it to entertain and also enliven otherwise dull, monotonous tasks. Whether it's Muzak, making the wheels of the wartime factory more productive, or Soul Cycle, making spin class into a dance party, music makes the heart beat faster. That's it for this episode. Special thanks to Sean Lenihan. The Musonomics Podcast is produced by Musonomics LLC, strategy consulting and analytics for and about the music industry. Production assistance this episode from Laurie Jacobson at Jaybird Communications and David Hoffman at Citizen Racecar. If you like what you heard on this episode of Musonomics, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a minute, and it's so important to helping new listeners find our podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Musonomics. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can find our contact information at our website, musonomics.com. From the Music Business Program at NYU Steinhardt, I'm Larry Miller. Thanks for listening.